online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again. This is Food FM. Welcome to Flavor Talks with Bella Zoo. I'm Robert Kirbishley. Bella Zoo's new podcast, Flavor Talks, is all about extraordinary and uncompromised flavor. We'll be chatting to our long-standing suppliers, creative chef customers, inspiring influencers, and some of the UK's leading food experts to share adventures and stories behind our favorite ingredients, giving you an insight into our world of food. This week on Bella Zoo Flavor Talks, we're talking to Sam Clark, co-founder of Morrow Restaurant and Marito, of which Morrow is celebrating 25 years on the food landscape, and Dr. Polly Russell, head of the Eccles Center for American Studies at the British Library and founder and curator of their food season. Amongst other things, we'll be discussing 13th century Moorish Spanish cuisine, how a manuscript can lay unfound for 500 years, and how food changes or doesn't through the ages. Hello and welcome to Bella Zoo Flavor Talks. And uh, this week, I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Dr. Polly Russell and Sam Clark. Sam, I'm sure many of you will know, uh, has been running Morrow and Marito uh, with his wife, Sam Clark, uh, since 1997. And uh, Dr. Polly Russell, Polly, do correct me if this is wrong. You are the head of the Eccles Centre for American Studies at the British Library. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. Excellent. If you wouldn't mind introducing yourself and we will start, I think, with Polly. Hello, I'm Polly Russell and I'm the head of the Eccles Centre for American Studies at the British Library. And I'm also the founder and curator of the British Library's food season because I've got a very long interest in and work in and research with food. So I have a sort of other hat. I have American studies hat and I also have a food hat. And it's with my food hat that I'm here today, I believe. And we'll come on to more of that very, very shortly. I'm absolutely sure. Uh, Sam, if you'd like to introduce yourself, please. Hello, I'm Sam Clark. I'm the sort of founder and a chef of, with my wife, Sam Clark, of uh, Morrow Restaurant and Marito. Hackney and Marito Exit Market and uh, author of five cookbooks with uh, the same name. Five, blimey, that's it. This, I, I do, I, I have to say, I'm going to get this out early, Sam. Um, I came across your cookbook back in, I don't know, what was it, 2000, 2001, before I discovered the restaurant, and it, it is still one of my favourites. I absolutely love it. Oh, to the kind. point, well, to the point, I hope you don't mind, that when, when, I, did, when I got married, we actually gave the venue uh, the cookbook with some <laughs> recipes in there, uh, and they, they did them. Uh, and they, they loved it, because they were sick of doing tiny, uh, tiny Yorkshire puddings and roast beef. Um, so, Polly, let's... You have got, I'm absolutely fascinated by this, and I'm not even going to attempt to, uh, to pronounce the, uh, the, the original Arabic name for it, but, you, but if you could, that would be great. But there is a, a very special book that you've been working on, and the English translation is Best of Delectable Foods and Dishes from uh, Al-Andalus and Al-Maghrib. Is that correct? That is correct, yes. Right, look, when you work at the British Library, it's this amazing place with the most incredible collections, like 170 million items, probably even more. And um, so you get to find out about these amazing collections and amazing books and manuscripts. And so I can't really claim to be an expert on this particular book because actually my colleague, who is the curator for Arabic and scientific manuscripts, Bink Hallam, he is the person who discovered this manuscript he is the expert he's the he's actually an expert on alchemy not 
cookery and we'll we'll explain i'll talk about why that's important and interesting in a second and he found this manuscript so he is the arabic expert and he would be the person who could uh, say the title i sort of came to it because of my interest in food uh-huh. and my interest in the food season which i was running and because i've got this sort of long connection with morrow and with sam and sam clark which goes back a long way and so there's this kind of really nice sort of loop in bringing this manuscript and this amazing translation of the manuscript sort of to Sam and Sam Clark to do this event which we're doing for the food season in May. Let's unpick a little bit of that so if, if you don't mind <laughs> you, you, you were very um, you were very modest in your introduction of yourself so uh, so you worked as a curator of contemporary politics and public life of food studies at the British Library you've been a freelance food consultant and writer and your connection uh, to Sam is you worked at Morrow as a kitchen junior in the inaugural year in 1997. Is that right? If that's the, that is the correct year, isn't it, Sam? Nineteen ninety-seven. Yes, exactly. So in nineteen ninety-seven, I worked for about nine months at Morrow when they just first opened in the most of junior capacity possible. Had an absolutely brilliant time. Loved it, and I feel like, in a way, like ever since I've been trying to sort of get back somehow uh, into that kitchen and somehow through this project have managed to do so, which has been really thrilling. But I left and went off to work as a food buyer at Marks and Spencer. And then I did a research into food, did a PhD. And But I've always loved Morrow, loved what they do, loved the food that, that they've kind of championed and explored in their cookery. And then this this moment of finding out about this incredible manuscript, which documents the food of 13th century um, Arabic Iberian Peninsula, just immediately made me think, oh my God, the clerks are going to love this. Let me see what they think if you put it in front of them. And, and this is kind of where we are today. The first question has to be, and this always, always, always pops up in my mind when you hear about a story like this. This is an 800-year-old manuscript. Well, it's actually slightly more confusing than that. I'm really sorry. It's slightly more confusing because, in fact, as we discovered when Sam, Sam and I went to see the manuscript with the curator, Bink Hallam, at the British Library, in fact, the manuscript is not, that you can see at the library, it's not 800 years old. It is. It was written in 1500s, so it's, what does that make it, 600, 700 years old. But it is the earliest copy, the oldest copy of the original manuscript. So the original manuscript dated from uh, the 1300s, and then copies were made of it, and only three copies exist. The one that's at the British Library, which was done in the 1500s, and then there's one in Madrid, and there's one in Berlin. So the one at the British Library, I think is the most complete copy, but it's certainly the oldest copy. So it's the one that's the closest to the original, and therefore is probably the most revealing and the most um, true to the original, is what the uh, experts believe. It's a mere 500 years old. That's a massive, massively disappointed with that. But I mean, how, how, how on earth did that, is it, is it just that they, they knew the manuscript was there and they, nobody really bothered with it or it was genuinely lost and somebody was searching through and they go, hey, my goodness, look at this. We've got this amazing manuscript. Which, which of those or was it something different? Well, actually, it's just the most delicious story. So so Arabic scholars had known about the existence of the 
manuscript that, that because they knew of the copies that were in Berlin and the one that was in Madrid. Scholars, Arabic scholars have been working on those two manuscripts um, translating them but neither of those manuscripts were complete so there were big parts big chunks of this um, manuscript missing from the translations and this is a really sizable text I think that's the other thing to understand that the the manuscript has I think 474 recipes in it so it's huge so scholars knew about the copies that were in Berlin and Madrid no one knew that the British Library had a copy and Bink Hallam was uh, cataloguing, archiving uh, what he believed was a medicinal text, um, medical text. And he was working through this text. And as he was working through it... Well, it had sort of layers of um upon layers of sort of text and 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 it, it had this sort of you know just this incredible romantic mystical feel about it it was uh, <laughs> it was it was it was quite a moment looking at it but it, it had a sort of translucency and the beauty of the text and um and every now and then within the text um there'd be the pen would be scarlet you know would jump out the page and the colors were still incredibly fresh and vibrant you know it's that old because it'd been beautifully look, looked after it did you know it was very clear and, and striking to look at and uh, of course arabic text is to us is so sort of alien but beautiful as well it's like a abstract um picture in itself really that's right it's this really beautiful so it's sort of a bound book isn't it of of pages mm. of handwritten uh handwritten arabic script and what bink realized was he was cataloging working through it and as he was reading he realized that at some point what had been medicinal sort of factual recipes talk yeah recipes i guess but medicinal ones describing you know how to make bodies well suddenly he was reading recipes that were for tasty delicious food and he realized that in fact what had happened was that that this manuscript this culinary manuscript had been sort of bound together between two medicinal manuscripts and had there been for been hidden for as many years as it had been bound in the British Library. And he, he unearthed this uh, sort of jewel in the middle of these medicinal tracts, realised that he had something that was not about medicine and alchemy, but was in fact about food and recipes. And he then got in touch with um, a woman called Narwal Nasrallah, who is a Iraqi um, Arabic scholar and an expert on, on food, uh, from that region and from that that period, and as it happened by complete coincidence, she was actually working on a translation of the of the copies from Berlin and Madrid at that time. And as she said to me when I spoke to her on the phone, when she got this this email from Bink, it was you know as if it was a call from heaven because she suddenly realised that she would be able to bring these three copies together and create the complete translation of the text. Well, I think that's the podcast done, isn't it? That... what what a story and this is obviously this this is a this is a handwritten script well before the printing press came into came into being yes so the original of course would have been yeah absolutely and of course the copies as well and what 
what is so f- amazing is that what you're seeing is or what you're sort of connecting to is really connecting back through those hundreds and hundreds of years to this scholar who wrote the original text, the original best of delectable foods and dishes. Um, I'm not going to say, um, my pronunciation won't be great, but people will forgive me, I hope. hope. Um, Ibn Razin al-Tujibi is was the the author and he was a scholar and a scribe a sort of very learned educated man but what you get a sense of as well is and I'm sure Sam will agree with me on this is also that he is a huge food enthusiast he clearly loves food and cooking and is fascinated by it because his enthusiasm kind of leaps out at you over hundreds of years. This is purely written for posterity. This is just to preserve the recipes for no other reason. Clearly because you can't have a hundred people trying to copy this out and sell it. Obviously things didn't work like that in those days. So this is just a man with a massive love for food who decides he doesn't want these recipes to be lost uh, to time. Well, there's definitely a sense in which he does not want the recipes to be lost. And and it is so therefore a kind of, it's a documenting, it's a kind of writing down evidence of the food and culture of Andalus. And what's really important to sort of note is that he wrote this, we think when he was in his sort of later part of his life, when he was actually in exile living in Tunis, because mm. he had to leave um, Andalusia in his early 20s as a result of um, Christians sort of taking over and Moors having to leave. And um, so he's really sort of paying tribute to the food of his youth and the kind of culture of his youth which he is clearly an absolute believer is the best food that there ever was, that this is this culture and this food was is to be sort of celebrated and preserved. Um, so it's definitely a document which is about trying to preserve the history and the culture of a people who are now in exile. But it's also a very practical cookery book. I mean, you could, it absolutely, it's so detailed and it's so well expressed and it's so visceral that, that it works incredibly well as a cookery book. And I think from my reading of it, it was intended to be used, you know, as practically as well or to tell people how to cook as well as to kind of document a kind of lost world i'm guessing no photographs no no <laughs> photographs but honestly i mean i can read some of the recipes out later but they are so visual you can picture what he is describing well i mean this this is my next question was uh, you know how recognizable are they um i know that the the the, fo- the, the uh, folio is only 500 years old but from 800 years ago how recognisable are they in uh, um, sort of modern food landscape? Well, I mean, obviously, the style of recipe writing uh, evolved over hundreds of years, and so they, they're not big on huge um, on being really accurate with the not as big on being really accurate with the quantities. But um, I mean, everything is sort of incredibly delicious, and and really most things very, very easy to make, and and so it's a you know. Um, it's 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 just amazing, and but the, I just think just can't get over how sophisticated the recipes are. Really, I mean, they were. We all know that that age of uh, northern of, of of Spain um, was incredibly sophisticated, and they were wonderful and amazing mathematicians and scientists and everything. But that sophistication, you know, also translates into the food. I mean, um, it it's it's just so advanced that um, you know it wouldn't be out of place. And in fact, I'm sure I will you know, use many of the recipes in a, in a modern cookbook. It's it's incredible. I mean, 
there's lots of classics in here and lots of sort of interesting things. So it sounds absolutely right that the recipes are a sort of mixture of really familiar and also unexpected. But there's also, I think, something to be said about the structure of this book or the manuscript, that it's organised into 12 parts and each part then has separate chapters. Um, so, it's, so, for instance, just to give you an idea of how familiar it is, the first chapter is um, on bread. In that part, there's also chapters on soup and on porridges and on pastries. Then the second um, part is on the meats of quadrupeds. It's got six chapters, beef, mutton, lamb, goats, and then wild meat. Then there's a chapter on poultry. I won't go through them all, but we'll just move on to some of the more vegetarian ones. There's one on dairy foods. That's got how to curdle milk, how to make yogurt and butter. And then on vegetables, you've got dishes of eggplants, dishes with truffles, dishes with asparagus. And then there's a section on confectionery. And the very, very last section in the whole book is a part 12 is on hand washing preparations, like how to create beautiful perfumed waters and sort of unguents to wash your hands just the most mouth-watering text i'll tell you (laughs) (laughs) but is that the hand washing is that is that more religious or or hygiene or hygiene rather than hygiene um which which one is that is that a more a religious ritual no i think well i I, again i would have to defer to narwhal the translator of this text for this but uh, my reading of it is that it is a, a that it is bound up with a kind of ritual of um and an observation of cleanliness but also just the importance of cleanliness and of hygiene as being kind of central to running a kitchen. Well, that I mean, that's incredible. Given if you think where we were in the 12th century in this country, I, I, yes, I don't exactly. think washing washing our hands was particularly washing anything. To be honest with you, uh, well, the question I wanted to uh, you and you kind of touched upon it. What was the most unusual in, ingredient? And I'm guessing wild animals is is going to surely be numero uno there. Well, there's quite a big section on sparrows. Um... <laughs> oh my. Thrushes feature as well, I think. Thrushes, yeah. Yeah, there's locusts, freshwater shrimp. But, I mean, there are these things, but they're in a way, they're not not the dominant uh, sort of characteristic of the text, I wouldn't say. I think it's more things that you're sort of familiar with and then they'll have a kind of twist on them. Would you agree, Sam? Yes, exactly. Also, I sort of sense that a lot of the um, ingredients in the book originally in those days would have been foraged so they'd have recipes for fennel uh, and things like that which obviously grows all over much of um, southern europe wild and so i think many of these things would have been foraged and sort of wild spinach so obviously they were sophisticated cultivation as well but i think um a lot of them would would, um, a lot of foraged ingredients um you know with things like fennel it would have been assumed that somebody would have gone out in the morning picked some fennel and brought it back as opposed to going to the market and and buying fennel and things like that that is incredible because i mean so how what proportion do you think is vegetarian because meat would have been really really precious if not scarce uh, at that time well certainly there are a lot of recipes for vegetables for preserving for pickling but i'm not sure you know this was a time of um considerable sort of wealth and prosperity in that region and um very skilled farming as well so you know when the when the arabs kind of settled that area there were people coming from you know all over the arabic world and bringing their 
sort of culinary but also agricultural skills. So this was a, a time of significant kind of prosperity and wealth. I'm sure there were huge disparities in that. But you, you get the sense of abundance from this cookery book in in vegetables and spices, in herbs, and also in meat and in in um, poultry. So yeah, I, I it doesn't feel like a sort of at all like an impoverished account of that of that time. There are I'd I'd say that they're probably fifty fifty recipes for uh, meat and poultry. I, I would have thought in the same way that. Um you know, the book of looks of Escoffier weren't what everyday people were eating. This book also wasn't what, what the, the farmers were eating. This was for, you know, the, the top echelons of society. And um, so, you know, so all these incredible dishes probably were not everyday food and they were for the, the top people. Uh, but also, you know, the... Sam, can I slightly argue with you there? Oh, okay. <laughs> Only because I'm thinking, actually, sorry, I just think that what Al Tujibi was doing was trying to document the kind of full range of, of food that was available yes. and the dishes that were available. So literally, as you were saying that, but by complete chance, I just had opened it at a recipe uh, in the poultry section for chicken. And there's a chicken recipe, uh, chicken recipe called al badaruia, which is called a peasant's dish. So, I, And so at All the right. same time, you have like a sort of simple peasant's dish. On the next page, you've got this recipe for making judhabada, which uh, you know the you know Bastilla, that very famous Moroccan yes, yes. sweet chicken sort of pastry dish. There's there's also that, and that that wow. recipe for Bastilla is very rich and very uh, luxurious. Uh, but the dish yes. for peasant is much more sort of basic and and simple. So yeah. I think actually oh, it has. I think it's got it's got both, um, and it's, it's got it's both. Tr- Isn't that great? Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> For for all the people, I mean, how many how many of these have you cooked, Sam? Or um, have you? Well, um, I've cooked three um, recipes: um, uh, a lentil dish using saffron um, and and lots of different spice combinations that I've never used before. So it tastes totally unique. Even though I've been cooking sort of um, spiced lentils, you know, for a long, long time, this is a incredibly unique um, flavor combination, which is really exciting. And then um, and then. A, a recipe for cardoons, which is the the leaf of, of an artichoke, which very few recipe books have um, any um, uh, knowledge of. And uh, so this has a recipe for th- three different recipes for cardoons, and then a wonderful lace thin omelette, which um, has the juice of coriander and mint and and saffron and different spices, and tastes totally unique. And I'm going to be having on, that on my next menu starting tomorrow so um it's been quite influential already but i i haven't even begun to read it read the recipes i mean it's so dense and it's so inspiring that you know it's it's a sort of not a life's work but i definitely need to go on holiday and digest the book (laughs) properly That's a great excuse for a holiday, I have to say. Uh, so, so, I mean, so you've, I mean, I've got a couple of questions here. You've already really kind of answered that. You, you are going to test cook these and introduce them to the restaurant then? Yes. Right. Um, I mean, I know you've just said you, you cooked uh, four, I think you said. But, I mean, have you skimmed through? Are there any favourites that you, you've kind of earmarked thinking, I have to try that one? You could argue that um, chefs, and especially if you've been cooking the food we have for, for 25 years, that, New ideas are like gold dust, and and so really, my job is not really about favourites. It's about 
to find the sort of obscure and the things could, which can give another layer of interest and dynamic to the, to the menu. So, you know, they, they talk about fermented fermented liquid or fermented juice, a, t- a tablespoon of fermented juice. And I don't 100% know what that means, but lots of the recipes have this sort of fermented juice. And I suppose it, it, it's, it's probably quite good for digestion, like we know fermented things are, but it's also mm. um, gives a, a, that sort of, different sour quality and I think that's really interesting so I'm going to research how I can make this fermented liquid which is in so many of the restaurants um, or so many of the recipes and and that will you know be really fa- fascinating sort of exercise which I want to do and then but really I mean I'm just going to be plowing through it and in the, the cardoon dish we did in the on the menu last menu was um, really delicious and it was just with tomato sauce and lots of spices and um, I really like that and a bit of vinegar and stuff. So when we first heard about this amazing manuscript and then found out it had been translated and and thought that Sam and Sam would probably love it, Brill, the publishers who published it, and I should say this is a pretty weighty tome, it's sort of 900 pages, they kindly sent us all copies and we started looking at it. And it just seemed like the most perfect opportunity to do something at the British Library food season. We we run the season every April to May and we do talks and workshops and tastings, exploring all manner of things related to food. And so on the 21st of May, just got this kind of dream panel because we've got the curator Binkham um, who discovered the manuscript at the British Library. We've got the the amazing woman who translated it, Narwell Nasgrala, who's coming over from America to come and sit on the panel and talk about the translation and share her expertise. And then we've got Sam and Sam Clark who will be talking about their sort of exploration of the text in the kitchen. And then if that were not enough, they're actually cooking four of the dishes and bringing them along so that people can actually try them. So it's just, I can't even tell, it's being chaired by um, the food writer, who Julie Smith as well. So it's just the kind of, for me, this is just the perfect event because it's celebrating the British Library's collections. It's kind of exploring this amazing history and we're going to get to taste some of the food. Um, and I thought, Sam, perhaps you should say something about that broad bean recipe that you're doing, the sprouting broad beans, but also the how were the, the nougat, which was just so interesting. <laughs> well, we, we obviously it's a thrilling uh, event for us as well. And as I've already mentioned, totally inspired by the book. So we just wanted, we thought obviously um, what would be, interesting to for everyone to try to give a little variation of textures and tastes um and 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 so there, there there's there's one there was one recipe for, for fermented um or for sorry not fermented for sprouted broad beans and so we thought oh my goodness what that what's that and we couldn't quite work it out which broad beans to get because you can get um um dried broad beans this is and so i asked an egyptian friend um look when you do you know where i can get these small dried broad beans and and she and I started to describe this dish, and she said, "Oh my goodness, yes, that's that's a really famous Egyptian dish, and it's eaten in every sort of CD bar all over Cairo." And uh, I was like, "Oh great!" And and she said, oh, "Don't worry about buying the small, broad beans. You know, get that they actually this dish is meant to be made with the big big broad beans." So um, so that was really exciting. So I started um preparing. The dish and for this tasting we were going to have with um, Polly, and then um, 
and I, it said you're, you're meant to take four days to sprout the beans. So I sort of soaked these beans three days before, and I was come on, sprout, goddamn you, sprout. <laughs> and um, and uh, anyway, in the end, they 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 performed, and um, before you knew it, or you know, after day two, these little shoots started coming out. Of, of the broad beans. And, and, you know, we know that sprouted beans or sprouted seeds, you know, have incredible amount of um, energy and, um, and goodness in them. As soon as you something sprouts, um, it releases all these incredibly good um, nutrients for you. So it's a whole dish um, seasoned with, um, uh, with spices um, made out of these wonderful sprouted broad beans and they almost have got a you know, wonderful sort of meaty texture and sort of totally unique and as soon as a bean sprouts or a seed sprouts it makes it also very digestible um and so um but it was just great that this ancient recipe is still eaten every day in 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 cairo but i but i'd never knew it existed and it took this ancient book to actually bring my attention to it um so that was great but also we're going to be having a, a type of halva which is is basically like modern day nougat and um but you know if i had to follow a modern recipe to actually get the technique because it's so precise you have to get the use a sort of laser thermometer <laughs> until the sugar is exactly the right temperature and then you've got to whisk and um, have the and, and whisk the eggs for a certain amount of time and it's it's all quite technical actually so the actual recipe in the book although the it's absolutely recognizable it's amazing it would be very hard to follow that recipe without the use of um, a modern technology or, or, you know, having a whisk and having a thermometer and all those sort of things. So it, I had to sort of cheat a little bit, but the actual recipe is identical. The ingredients are identical. And it's just this fantastic um, nougat with, with, um, with walnuts. You know, when I saw you'd made salmon, it's this kind of, it's sort of, well, it's a sort of like a chewy cloud, isn't it? This delicious <laughs> nougat and um, just, you know, sort of slightly perfumed. And, but like you said, you know, the level of sophistication to produce something yes. like that yes. in, at a time when you don't have, I don't, what did you say, a digital thermometer or whatever you say, you know, mm, th mm. Th this would have taken such skill and such knowledge yes. and that people must have been sort of passing knowledge down across generations yeah. um, as a way of learning. So that even though these recipes are very accurate, there's still this sort of sense in which the kitchen was a very sophisticated place at this time, mm. at this time where they're making this sort of food absolutely but they they would have done it by eye they would have done it by smell they'd have yeah. done it by all those sort of things so that can only I mean, really be that, passed down that is the astonishing thing is that all, all of these things would have there would there if you do it long enough you yourself will start to pick up on these smells these these uh, visual sort of cues it's like our you know our tahini which is uh which is made uh, by uh, palestinian workers from nablus and they Oh, yes, the machinery is all modern, but the, and, and they, they do have a thermometer which, which uh, will, will, will tell you how hot the oven is, but they still watch and they still smell because they, you know, they, they know the point at which they want to take the sesame seeds and they don't yes. want to take them too far. Yes. It's, Fantastic it's um, tahini, by the way. Ah, oh, bless you. Thank, <laughs> thank you very much. I wasn't trying to get a plug in there. It, it just, it just seemed very appropriate. But I mean, <laughs> and speak, speaking of appropriate, though, I mean, this book uh, is is beautiful timing for you, Sam, because I mean, it's tw it, it is twenty five years. It's your twenty fifth anniversary for Morrow, isn't it? This year. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, that, that that is, and if we can talk, if we can just talk about um, Morrow for for a little bit, I mean, that is. It, it particularly 
in a sort of modern London age of, of restaurants, that is, that's a few lifetimes, isn't it, to have a restaurant? <laughs> yeah, it's very kind of you. But it does feel like it, I must say. <laughs> it does feel like it. <laughs> but um, no, um, no, it's very kind of you. I mean, we, to be honest, we, that was always our game plan. We were in it for the long haul and uh, we didn't want to have lots of places. We wanted to have one place and 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 let it continue for a long time and so that was that was always the, the plan and we're still cooking every day and um enjoying it very much but how i mean how do you keep it fresh and i don't mean the food obviously how how when you're doing <laughs> and obviously you're going to uh i'm assuming that's refrigerators but i'm, I'm and, and fresh food but but <laughs> how do you how do you keep that sort of after 25 years of going into the same building same kitchen what is it that kind of drives you to, to, to both of you to kind of keep going in and and which we've, we've had a, a this uh, point comes up a lot in the podcast which is it's not an easy life being a chef it, it you know the hours are, are extraordinary it can be quite an attritious lifestyle so what is it that keeps you there i mean we still food is our passion um we used to travel a lot and go and explore the recipes at source but um now we that's less something less something we do but like so this this book arriving on our laps is actually um the oxygen to keeping us going i mean you know it, it, things like this they 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 they're inspiring they're, um, and in the past we'd have gone to the markets of marrakesh and got recipes and and um traveled in andalus but we've done that sufficiently and now it's, it's like reaching back into the past with this book is as vital and um as important so that's really how we keep on going but you know we, we've always changed our menu every month to reflect the seasons and generally speaking a third of the recipes we write every uh, menu we've never done before so it's um it's continually evolving and that's that's um and that's sort of partly why we've been able to write quite a lot of cookery books is because we're always exploring and trying to reinvent ourselves um as we go along so i mean is there is is there i think i know i think i know what the answer to this might be but is there anything still on the menu from 25 years ago Oh yes, quite a lot, <laughs> quite right. a lot. I mean, so the Syrian, the Syrian lentils, we've um, uh, 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 very similar to some of the lentil dishes in 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 this book, and um, they've been on for twenty five years. And and so obviously our tortilla, the Espanol, our wonderful classic tortilla, has been on for all that time, and all those sort of things. Yeah, have, have, we've never changed. But the uh, and 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 then we've got the the patatas los pobres um, uh, on the menu, which we've always done, which is the Potatoes and peppers and onions confit in olive oil, which um, we've we've always done. So there are there are definitely things which um, which resurface, <laughs> the classics resurface. <laughs> and and the bread, I'm assuming the bread hasn't changed either. No, that's right. It's the same starter culture, the sourdough culture that Samantha made by fermenting grapes. Um, yes, so 25 years ago. Yes, so it's the same living organism which is responsible for our bread. <laughs> I, 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 I absolutely love that, though. It, um, and and it, obviously, uh, that's a few things that are still on the menu. What about personnel? Apart from um, you and Sam, is anyone still there from the original opening? Well, there's there's quite a lot of people who I mean, have been there 20, 20 years, maybe not 25, but there's quite a lot of 20s. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good who stretch. still there. <laughs> That is a good stretch. I mean, I think you've already answered this question, to be honest with you. I mean, I've, I've got written down, are there any other styles of cooking that would draw you away from Morrow? But I think the, an I mean, the answer to that is no, isn't it? 
that's right no i mean um it, it's it, well we're still learning you know we're still learning which is which is also i've got to say i mean because this is relevant to um you guys at Bellazoo is is that ingredients are also a very inspiring influence uh you know so, um so sometimes you know importers will get their hands on black tahini or or a certain type of dried pepper or something and and uh, or a grain a special grain and then that that also opens up a whole new world of recipes. So, I mean, it, it, that's also a key factor. Or a farmer will be growing some this or that, or you know. So, so ingredient-led information or, or, or evolution is very, very important for the um, for the menus, keeping it fresh as well and keeping us fresh. Yeah, we're, we're finding this. I mean, I think one of the things that we've discovered from doing the podcast is is the level to which restaurants are now working directly with suppliers you know there are many different levels that they're doing it but that is one of them of, of kind of in, introducing uh, stuff which is either especially grown or, or or that you know a producer is especially proud of as, as opposed to yes. the idea of you just order the same thing every week and uh, it, it's it's yes. really it's really lovely to hear um but i mean i just Sticking on that theme of, of you know the, the the kind of lifestyle of it, because uh, you, you've got two children. Is that is it two children you've got? Three, yeah. You've got three. three. Sorry, three. Uh, one makes a big difference. Um, I mean, <laughs> would you would you would you be happy for them to work as chefs? I would. They're not. They're quite um, uh, um, efficient at cooking um, for themselves, but um, no, they're not actually that interested in 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 um, doing it in the kitchen. We've tried. They've all done their time in the kitchen. Well, not the eleven-year-old, but he. Um, but um, the other guys have all done their time in the kitchen, and they're pretty naturally good at it. But they're not interested in in um, doing it for a profession. No, although they've all worked in the kitchen and they're very good at it um, naturally. Um, they don't want to continue with that. <laughs> They'll come back to it. I'll, I'll bet you any money that your your history always comes back on you in, to some degree. <laughs> so, Polly, I mean, you obviously you are firmly ensconced at the the British Library, but I mean, you've you've done quite a few things previously as well. So, I mean, you've done food developing amongst other things so, as well as. Have you been a chef? No, I don't think I'd ever be able to use the word chef. I don't know. <laughs> Stretch. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, definitely not. But I, you know, I've worked in kitchens around and about, with, you know, at a very sort of junior level. And when I was doing research, I was quite often doing some sort of field work in in kitchens. And so I, yeah, definitely not a chef, but definitely a, a useful helper. That's as far as I say. <laughs> So the British Library Food Season runs this whole selection of events, tastes, workshops, talks. Uh, so Sam and Sam Clark will be talking about this incredible manuscript from the 13th century on the 21st of May. There's a whole day of events then, including uh, also Satnan Sangera, the author of Empire Land um, and The Boy with the Top Knot, uh, chairing a panel on cooking for connection about food and migration. Uh, we've got on the 27th of May, Angela Hartnett in conversation with Honey & Co um, founder and chef Itamar Shrulevich, um, and they will be talking about their lives in food. And we've got, just by way of example of the range of things, we on the 18th of May, we've got the culinary world of Eliza Acton and Mrs. Beaton. So, straight to 19th century England with Annabelle Abbas, who's written an amazing novel about Eliza Acton and Catherine Hughes, Mrs. Beaton's biographer. So those are just three of about 15, 
20 events coming up between now and the end of May. So check out the British Library food season. That's fantastic. We haven't, Sam, we haven't mentioned your new cookbook because you've got, uh, I mean, you said you've, you've done five, but there's a, when's the new one coming out, which I believe is called Morrow Easy? Yes, Morrow Easy um, uh, is, is coming out at the, um, in, in the autumn, yes. And we've just finished okay. writing it, and um, and it's really um, inspired by the sort of food we were sort of forced to cook at home, really. Um, when suddenly you've got two meals a day to cook, and don't want to spend your whole day cooking um, during lockdown. So um, it was a sort of lockdown project <laughs> for cooking <laughs> so, for the family without too much hassle. So this, so that's interesting. You, uh, you're prof- you're professional chefs, but actually this was about not wanting to spend the whole day cooking at home, and uh, so you. you who simplified the recipes? Is that is that a pretty fair? Yes, and it, yeah, that, that's right. I mean, it was just a, you know, I mean, people say, oh, your kids must have always been really well fed, and uh, and actually, they probably the most neglected children food wise it's possible to be. But suddenly, we were we got our comeuppance, and we had sort of you know almost two years of having to cook <laughs> cook for them. We we had to adapt and adapt fast. <laughs> Fantastic. I've got um, I've got three three more questions. One is just for Sam. Um, it's a flippant one. How's Henry and Laura? Because um, obviously, uh, for those of you, not many of you, <laughs> not many of you will know, but Henry, our uh, development chef, is on a three month sabbatical and he's touring um, Spain with uh, his wife. And you met up, didn't you? I met up with them. Yes, and we um, we observed um, lots of the uh, Easter celebrations and. Um, <laughs> And uh, uh, and we, we went up into the hills and had sort of um, rust, lots ate lots of sort of rustic um, mountain food near 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 um, Seville and um, and we had a very nice time and uh, yeah went sh- shopping in the markets together and and uh, of course he's he, he, you know he's they, they brought their dog who's famously grumpy and uh, I managed to. <laughs> I managed to uh, to cuddle her by the end, uh, which was really good. I saw, so I saw a, a, a personal achievement. Hmm? I saw the evidence. I saw the picture on Instagram. <laughs> I saw it. I, 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 every time I look at their feed, I, I just think I hope they're doing a lot of walking because the, 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 for their for their health sake, <laughs> this this is not going to go well. Uh, but that, okay, so with that, we're down to the last two questions, which which are, which are fairly lighthearted. If you could go back to any period of time to experience the food. Where and when would it be? And I'm going to start with Polly. Genuinely, if you'd asked me this question before I discovered this manuscript, I would have said probably Georgian Britain, but and I'd have wanted to have quite a lot of uh, funds available to me. I didn't want to be not poor Georgian <laughs> Britain, but wealthy. But now you can scrap that because I definitely want to go back to 13th century Andalusia, and I want Al Tajibi to be my guide. Um, that is just without doubt. This is this this manuscript is so tantalising. The world it depicts is so rich and so exciting culturally and in culinary terms. I'm going back there. Brilliant, Sam. Well, I think I mean it. You know, I've I've over the years experienced so much um, generosity from people in Islamic cultures, and and some of my happiest memories have always been sharing food with Islamic friends around a table and and just being amazed. And so there's there, there I think I you know for those reasons I know just how wonderful the celebration of food would would be within this book, and um, and how the atmosphere would be so. Joy, so I'd have to go. I have to delve back into that time as well. Well, we okay. can share an Airbnb, Sam. Why don't we do that? 
Oh, can you imagine a time traveling Airbnb? That would so be good. The, that would be, be so the, good. Oh my God, that would be great. And then the last question is, uh, and this, uh, uh, Polly, you're included in this, but I realize this is a bit more difficult for you to answer. Um, the menu at Morrow can never be changed again. What three mains would would you keep? <laughs> well, that's the whole point. We don't. I mean, I don't. You know, I don't really do that. But um, because you know, the whole thing is, I was writing this morning the menu, and it was just literally responding to gut inspect, responding to the to the ingredients available. You know, and 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 that's the sort of wonderful thing which makes the hairs on my chest. My head, chest, arms, <laughs> bristle. <laughs> That's the whole point. I can't really do that, but I mean, I can. And and there literally, there's thousands of dishes we cook. I do, I always find it's sort of the antithesis of, I mean, what we do. <laughs> it's like asking the favourite child, isn't it? I mean, it is the is that kind of it's That's kind of that. The, question. That's the analogy I often use yeah <laughs> yeah yeah all right that's an unfair question but uh, it's not unfair for polly are there other three dishes that you'd you'd like to be served permanently if they could never change it again well I, yeah i'd like to be served three dishes permanently from morrow and i don't care what they are any of them would be absolutely fine um but you know i think this really speaks to the, the i don't know the incredibly sort of enduring nature of the food from from the region and the culture that morrow celebrates and 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 that this book celebrates as well that really these are kind of love letters to sort of the food of this culture and this cuisine and it, so it's absolutely impossible to just select three so i'm i'll just have three every day and they can change please i'll be fine <laughs> but we've always joked that you know if, if you can put some food in your mouth it is you can be transported to to a specific country a specific place and that's really exciting it, it is i'm going to take that you've both effectively taken the fifth amendment on that question so um <laughs> but that but that's fair enough i'm, I'm going to let you go uh, back to your to your day jobs but um there's i know there's so much more we could have explored about uh, both the restaurant and about the book as well the manuscript it, i've just had the greatest hour and you can always tell because it it just goes so quickly but i, I just wanted to say to, to sam clark uh, dr polly russell Thank you both very, very much indeed. Thank you Thank so you much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Come along on the 21st. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please feel free to leave a rating and review. We'd really appreciate you taking the time to let us know what you think. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok and LinkedIn or go to bellazoo.com. Thank you very much for listening and hope you can join us next time. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com.